Christ Jesus for you. And I, I like Sproul, so I'm going to quote from Sproul. And the reason I like Sproul so much is that he agrees with me. <laughs> I like to put it that way. You know, we all want people that agree with us. We say, boy, that person's really bright. <laughs> so anyway, Dr. R.C. Sproul has often said that every Christian is a theologian because every Christian has some view of God's attributes, work, will, and so on. These ideas may be held consciously as the result of years of diligent study, or they may be just a vague collection of thoughts. Nevertheless, every believer has a theology. Since every Christian is a theologian, the important issue is the content of one's theology and whether it provides a solid foundation for obedience. Now, here, here we're getting at what we're talking about today. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul commands us to give thanks in all circumstances. What understanding of God is consistent with this command? Is it the view that says the Lord merely reacts to his creation? Or does the view of God's sovereignty in Reformed confessions, such as the Heidelberg Catechism, provide the confidence and trust we need to thank our Creator in all things? A God, the answer, he says, is obvious. A God who has not ordained evil cannot actually be thanked and praised for bringing good out of evil. Now, this just rang bells for me when I read it because this is what I've been thinking for years. This God that I worship is a God who is all-powerful and who ordains every single thing that happens. And so, therefore, I need... Well, for one thing, I need to leave, live in complete confidence that no matter what is going on in my life, it is his will. He is allowing it to happen. This, go, this goes even further and says he ordains it. So that's a real leap into faith, I think. And then I want you to hear something else that I think is, uh, well, here, I'll read the end of this. Paul tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, and we have a basis for thanking God in all things only if he has ordained all things. If the events and creaturely decisions that result in our good occur because God ordained they, can, can, they would occur, we can give him all praise and glory. Since the Lord's sovereign decree is the foundation for everything that ever happens, we can be confident of God's good purposes as he works all things according to his will. I don't want to take a lot of time because I'll leave us time for discussion, but I do want to sure share this with you because it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. And the name of it is Why Disabilities. This is written by Dr. David Murray, professor of Old Testament and practical theology at Puritan Reformed Theologian Cemetery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He is a, the auditor of a book, Christians, the editor of a book called Christians Get Depressed Too, author, actually. There are 600 million people with disabilities in this world. Why so many? What's God's purpose in this? God's purpose? Surely a good God has nothing to do with people's disabilities. Yet God claims a role in disability. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's uh, Ezekiel 4, verse 11. But why? 
What's his purpose? How many of us have ever asked that? Whenever, well, first, disability shows sin. Whenever we see a disabled person, we cannot but think, this was not how we were meant to be. God created humanity very good, perfect in every way. We had physical perfection, uniting indescribable external beauty with perfect internal functionality. We had intellectual perfection, connecting knowledge, understanding, memory, perception, imagination, and reasoning powers in finely tuned balance. We had emotional perfection, combining love, joy, and peace in sublime proportion. We had spiritual perfection, fusing moral excellence and communion with God in serene concord. We were made a little lower than the angels in the image and likeness of God. But now, when we look at even the best specimen of humanity, like I, of course, what do we see? I wish. Imperfection, deformed bodies, broken minds, chaotic emotions, and soulless souls. When we enter hospitals, nursing homes, and respite care facilities, imperfection overwhelms us. Sin happened. Not that people's personal sin brought disability into their lives. Rather, sin brought God's curse upon all mankind and on every part of human nature to one degree or another. The worst part of the curse is our spiritual disability, and yet it's the most invisible, the most difficult for us to see or believe. The curse is more obvious in physical, mental, and occasional impairments. Now, here's what I want to get to, and I'm skipping over some of this. Disability shows humanity in its heights and its depths. We are taken to humanity's heights when we observe the sacrificial love, tender care, and persevering patience that family, friends, and other caregivers lavish upon the disabled by showing us the inestimable value and worth of every human life. They provoke us to good works and to worship the God whom they image. But disability also shows us humanity in its depths. Ninety percent of unborn children with Down syndrome are murdered before they see the light. Some children born with disabilities are victims of infanticide, official and un unofficial. Even those who are spared still face much sinful prejudice and cruelty. Let's grieve over humanity in its vicious depths, even in our own prejudices. Let's continue to pray for God's deliverance of our society from its terrible crimes against these little ones. And let's encourage, appreciate, and imitate those who show us humanity in its heights of selfless love. As one caregiver said, I treat every disabled person as Jesus in distressing disguise. I love that. Now, I'm going to get now to the, to the nitty-gritty of something I've learned about myself during this um, time I've spent with you, and that is why the problems with my mother. My mother was disabled. She had searing headaches, and we found out that she had a reason for those headaches. They weren't in her, they weren't from stress. She was in such pain, so what did she do? She was depressed first and foremost because she had all this pain, and it never went away day after day after day. So she turned to alcohol because alcohol made her forget, but she had to drink a lot of it, and then she added drugs to it. And she managed to get some painkillers from a local pharmacist who was also hooked on it. So that was, she added that. That was to ease the pain. What happened to me? I got angry. I was so angry with her. I remember this. It's 
still distresses me that I handled it the way I did. I wanted her to be perfect. Mothers are supposed to be perfect. Mothers are supposed to be well. Mothers aren't supposed to be depressed. Mothers aren't supposed to be alcoholics and drug addicts. She was not the mother I thought I should have. And so I did not handle it well. And that's why um, I had the negative relationship with her. She never lived up to my expectations, and she knew it. It was just one more burden for her to handle. So I'm giving you that, hoping it'll work uh, some discussion in here from the rest of you. I open it up to you. Hey, Patty, just a, a comment. Wow, that, that's really hot. Rick. Just um, a, a comment about the, you shared some stuff about the sovereignty of the Lord. Um, and it, it's, I think it's really difficult for us to understand how he can foreordain whatsoever comes to pass, yet he's not an, the author of evil. So the, the thing that's important for us to, to, to remember is that the same confession also says that he foreordains everything that comes to pass yet not in such a way that absolves us of responsibility for the choices that, that we make so that, that that sin thing does inflict uh, and affect us in, in lots and lots of ways. But um, I, I appreciate your sharing about your mom and, the, and the, the pain and the struggle there. And one thing I'd say is that um, I have learned um, late in life that those kinds of pains that you that are inflicted on you when you're a child can sometimes be, it doesn't matter if you're 7 or 70, those pains are still very real um, and they affect the way that we respond to things around us. Thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, my theory just reminds me of the message we heard just a couple weeks ago about the man blind from birth and the disciples ask you what caused his blindness was it his sin or his parents and Jesus said it was neither that it was so that the glory of God could be displayed and a lot of times we don't understand uh, why things happen the way they do but I think we can take confidence in the fact that that God works those things out uh, you know for good and you know all of Christendom has been blessed for 2,000 years with that story. And you know, uh, you know, that, that was a short time for someone to be blind compared to the time that he's had his sight uh, you know, uh, in eternity. Thank you. I, I think and listen to your story, Patty. You think where is the hope? that we have in that and as having been, had a mother that disappointed and having been a mother that I'm sure disappointed in many ways I guess the verse that comes out and the picture of Jesus that, that sustains me through that is the fact that he is a redeemer and I keep going back to the verse that he will restore the years the locusts have eaten and um, that, that's hopeful he uses that in our lives to make us the people that we are
Okay, Patty, you're going to get the story. <laughs> I told her this after class one day, and, and uh, it, it's very apropos with what she's talked about. And uh, I was uh, you know, raised in a home where mother uh, was a good Christian woman. And, um, and, you know, I don't have confirmation that I'll see Dad again, but, you know, that's not mine to say. But she was raised in the German Lutheran community right here north of Waynesboro. And, um, and Dad, the old Scotch-Irish, work, came through the Depression, work ethic, the demands. Um, I can remember as a young child, I uh, had failed to feed a hog at the barn. And we sat down at the supper table, and Dad asked me if I fed it. And I said, no. He said, well, you go feed it. So I had to go feed the hog before I come back and be a hog uh, at the supper table. Um, I do not remember ever hearing my dad say, I love you. Um, you know, it was always expectations. And until I married Alice, you know, I really didn't get, felt like I got treated as a person. You know, as, that my needs and emotional needs were insignificant at all. Um, 1981, a uh, year before I met a friend here in Northern Virginia, I moved to Northern Virginia, and the only person I knew up there was uh, the person I was replacing in the job. Three months later, my dad died. And the next 18 months, I just called it the hell of my life. Because what I came to realize uh, when I finally had my born-again experience and started walking with the Lord. What had happened is I had trusted my earthly father because he was so demanding and I wanted to please him, but I had trusted him when um, when I should have been trusting my heavenly father. And when I came out of that, I came out with a, a faith that was very real. And um, over time, I have struggled to understand how I fit into God's plan. And I started off just obsessed with knowing God, knowing who he was. And he let me know I wasn't to know who he was, that I was to know strictly what he wanted me to do. You know, that we want to live a life of faith, not necessarily of knowledge. And then from that, um, what I came to understand is through that grief process that everything in life if we're going to release it we have to go through a grief process and it's helped me you know to grow to understand that I have to go through anger and I have to go through bargaining and all those steps of the grief process to turn around and accept and to let be what is. And um, I have a young man working with me now. And, uh, sorry, guys. But last week I did something really stupid. And when I hired him in January, I said, look, I'm going to do things that you, that you don't agree with. And I hope you challenge me. You tell me what it is. Because that's the only way I can be better. 
This boy is 18 years old. Well, the next day he challenged me on it. And needless to say, our relationship has grown mountains because I accepted what he challenged me on and acknowledged that it was not the right way to do it and that, you know, I said, now, we will become a team when you challenge me in the middle of it and stop me and we get it right. And I just earlier in the day, I'd handled it properly, but it gotten hot and tired and everything else and flesh took over and I did something stupid. Um, that's what I'm talking about, is that dying to self, that the grief process that you got to go through. And um, I don't know how my relationship with my dad, you know, I, I don't understand why I was 35 years old before I started my walk with, with Jesus. I don't know. I just know it was. And I don't waste much time worrying about that anymore. But, you know, that's what I had to go through. Thank you. Thank you. And so you're still growing. Just like I am and all the rest of us, hopefully. You're never too old to learn. I will say, I want to say this about my, my, my mom before anybody else speaks. My mom was a, she was a Christian. She, she had a daily devotional every day. She tithed. She couldn't pass, a, a, well, a person with a tin cup or anything else on the street without giving them something. She gave away most of what she had. She had a loving heart. Um, she just didn't measure up. To what I thought, but I look, but I look back on it and I think, well, no wonder my kids loved her uh, like they did. They loved her with unconditional, positive regard. I did not. So, yeah. am I forgiven? Yes, I know I'm forgiven that, but that doesn't mean like in the nighttime. Sometimes when I wake up, I don't wish I had her back. So I can tell her. Any anybody else? The um, the thing you read about disabilities, God, God doesn't leave any detail unattended to. Um, one of the, the most victorious parts that I can say about my life, I, I went through school, I did well, but it wasn't easy. I, my parents will tell you that I spent hours and hours every night doing homework as a, as a child. I was a I was a square peg in a round hole in elementary and high school. Um, I can count on three fingers, the, maybe four, the number of textbooks I completely read in college, because I could not read or keep up with what was going on. But the Lord worked in the middle of that weakness, and I still graduated and did well. But I give Him the credit for that, because um, I I found out. At the end of my high school career, at the beginning of my college career, that I have a learning disability that was the reason for the total extra effort I had to put forth. But again, God worked through that. I, I gave. I I can't believe, looking back, how well I did with the amount of the little amount of study I was able to complete. And I give him all credit for that. And God God creates each of us. I, I believe this with all my heart, something I've come to believe and even teach sometimes. Um, it says it in 1 Corinthians 12. 
Not everybody can be an eye. Not everybody can be a foot. We're all who we are because God made us that particular way. And he has particular purposes in mind for us. And um, we all have to work together. And we have to sometimes move into our weakness so we can trust him. Thanks, Mara. I got here late, but Chris told me that you were talking about your mom's addiction. Um, A lot of you here may know, and many of you may not know, that I have been struggling for the past two years or three years with an addiction to opiates. And um, the first time I tried to get off of them, I tried to get off of them in my flesh. And Chris... And Susan Sheets will attest to that. Um, The second time I tried to get off of them, I was successful because I did it in in the Lord. Um, And I've been clean and sober for eight months now. I've had some shadows that have helped me. Chris Root and, again, Susan Sheets, my counselors, uh, not let me forget my wonderful, wonderful husband who is not here Um, But this time I'm walking knowing that I am weak and he is strong. I'm walking by faith and not by sight. I walk one day at a time. And um, I will always be an addict. That will never change. But I know that it is a disease. And... um, I want to tell my story so if there are others around me that have the same issue, whether you're, whatever your addiction is, that you are not to be ashamed because in Jesus Christ there is no shame for his children. So, um, you know, just get help. Uh, reach out to dear friends. They will walk with you and, um, and just trust in the Lord to, um, to heal you, and he will. Thank you. Um, my name's Joanna, um, and uh, I just want to say there is no perfect parent. We all know that. Um, when I was going through my own therapy in my early twenties. Um, a therapist said to me, because your parents aren't capable of being perfect, they will leave holes in your upbringing. There will always be something that you as a child didn't get from your parents or you longed for from them and didn't get. The problem is once you get to your early 20s, etc., Your parents can't even fill that for you anymore. Once you get past the developmental stage where you needed some of those things from them, once you're an adult, you can't get those from them anymore. Even if you go back to them and ask them, do this for me or whatever, they can't. It's not, you're not in the right place. And uh, she said, once you become an adult, you turn to God, your father, and... um, He will help you yourself either fill those holes for yourself by his grace or he will help you grieve that loss and move on. 
Um, I was at a stage then when I was very angry with my mom for how she brought me up and um, couldn't see any good in her. I thought she was a terrible woman. And um, my counselor said to me, you know, you will never love either one of your parents unconditionally until you're willing to accept both the good side of them and the bad side of them. My dad was up on a pedestal. In my mind, he was he could do no wrong. She said, you don't love your dad unconditionally either because you're not willing to admit that your dad has made some mistakes and he's not a perfect person either. So really, you can't love somebody unconditionally unless you're willing to see and accept both all their good parts and all their bad parts. That's how God loves us. He loves us not just of the good part of us. He loves us as whole people who are sinful and need his mercy and his grace. And that was, um, that was the beginning of my being able to forgive my mom for her faults and um, repair that relationship with her. And I was able to begin after that to see some of her good points. And um, she and I probably get along better than any of my sisters do with her now. <laughs> But she's a great woman. She's just wonderful. And she's fallen like the rest of us. And I look at my kids and I say, we may not be able to afford your college, but you, we're going to try and help you pay for your therapy when you grow up, right? <laughs> I love that, Joanne. <laughs> that's, that's great. Thank you. I'm really hesitant to get in this competition of who had the worst parent, but <laughs> I, I nominate my dad <laughs> and my father. I'm not going to go into all the things that meant he was a bad father or meant he was a bad husband or meant he was a bad person. You know, I dealt with him and kind of got past it. It was mainly his temper and his hypocrisy that, that still got to me. Someone that could criticize everyone but couldn't take anything. And in fact, after my mother's death in the 81, I believe it was, then the first time I really tried to confront him when he was just going off on my twin sister and you know, making something, the result was he moved away and was estranged from the family by, by his choice. And what I remember telling my son at the time, I was disciplining my 16-year-old son. And I said, Matt, you've got no choice but to accept this right now. But let me just urge you, when you're about 20 or so, and I'm in my mid-40s, if this doesn't sit well, this still doesn't sit well, you go ahead and try to kick my butt there. Don't wait until you're in your 40s and I'm 65 and it's too late because that's really what I felt like with my father that man I should have just beaten the crap out of him years ago and maybe I could have changed the family dynamics but what kindly finally put me on peace and lets, lets me go remember besides how angry he could be and how hypocritical he could be how self-centered his sexual things that were embarrassment to the whole family he also was a lot of fun, intelligent, and at times loving. And I will never regret all the effort 
it took Ann and me that for the last 10 years of his life, especially the last seven while I had him at Baldwin Park, I was responsible for him. You know, I saw to his needs. And I just know it was so much, sure it was better for him, but it was so much better than me that I could let go and do the right thing instead of take every excuse and just leave him there. And now that I'm moved past that, I'm realizing, you know, there were a lot of things I did as a father and as a husband in the past that I'm not too proud of. And at least in that relationship with my kids, with my, my son, it's great. When he calls me on Father's Day, he tells me how obviously great a father I was because look how wonderfully he turned out. You know, <laughs> he does fine. My bipolar daughter, who still has problems, you know, that relationship is still being worked on. You know, she started rebelling against Dad when I had sole custody when she was 15, and she's never quite been able to stop that since. But I still that, have that opportunity. And I guess the good news of Tabernacle is there's another father that I have the opportunity to keep on working on that relationship, and that's what I need to be doing. Thank you. I want to say something else to you all reminding me of the things I haven't said. My relationship with my mother was crucial to my being where I am today. I worked for many years in a 28-day drug and alcohol rehab program. I was running 20 groups a week, and it was so rewarding because I understood. I understood. And uh, I am very thankful for my mother. And I think that's what we're talking about. Thankful for the lessons that we learn. Thankful when we finally come face to face with ourselves. And that's what I, what I want to tell you about that. The last thing I want to say about my uh, dear mom, uh, I'm grateful for her. Who else has something? While you're all, while you all are thinking about what you want to say, I want to thank you for all the sharing you've been doing in here. It's been absolutely wonderful. I have learned much more from this series than I know that you have learned from me. And you don't have to protest because I know it's true. Um, I think I, I have learned so much about myself, about you, and about the way God has worked in my life. Uh, I have learned just so much here. I'm ready to move on and hand this, these Sunday schools over to other people, though I understand this is the last one for the summer. However, for this year, we need to remember that we're here to study God's Word. So I'm ready to be a student and sit in, out there and listen to some of you who are truly theologians teach me, because I've learned so much from that, too. Um, now, let's hear from, we have time to hear from a couple more people, if not more than that. I just wanted to thank you, Patty. This has been a wonderful session, and we don't take the time 
to sit down and share our stories with each other, and this is what binds us together. You know, we look through the room, and, and the first thing we notice is, is how different we are from each other, from the different things we've done and the different places we are. But if we go back, there are so many things that bind us together and draw us together that we hide away, that we never share, we never bring up, we never, we never say to each other. And this is what we need to be doing. This is how community is made and families are formed, and that's what we need to be about. Is, is building community. And this is how we do it. We need to share our stories. We need to share our stories. Thank you, Alice. I, I agree with that. I think we do. Um, you don't know how many people in this church have come to me and said, at various times, and said, the thing I worry about most is that if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. <laughs> we all think that at times. And I tell you, yes, I would. I would love you even more because you're so human, just like me. We're all imperfect. So, yes, knowing that, we, if we just sit and look like we're perfect, that doesn't get us anywhere because we're not, and we all know it. Romans 8.28 says, you know, that, uh, and we know God loves us. And we know God works all good, all things to our good uh, for those who love him according to his will. And I can remember sitting alone in a field once thinking about the most traumatic thing that ever happened. And I thought, Lord, that's not possible. You can't, you can't work that to my good. And he showed me how he did it. He He showed me how he um, had used that experience to change me and my role and position and my family. And uh, and I, looking back, well, as a result, that became sort of my life verse. That that uh, and I believe, you know, that's that's very possible. Even the worst things in our lives can be worked out for our good. Um, looking back, I would not change that experience. That was, um, and, but that was, that revelation uh, took place, I think, 18 years after the event happened. And I realized that I really wasn't ready to hear it before that. And uh, so I was trying to, to figure out um, and I really wasn't challenging God. I was just trying to figure out who the Lord was and how he could make those traumatic things uh, work to our good. And, and I realized there's nothing too bad. And um, I don't think he's responsible for what happened, but I think he allowed it to happen. And he, he used it to mold and shape me in the way that he did. And... And uh, so we may never know. It may take half a lifetime to know why he allows things to happen. When I hear you talk about your, your counseling 
I think of those experiences with your mother have to have been very helpful, but I'm sure a lot of time passed before um, you were able to realize that. So if we believe that he works all things to our good, then we can praise him for everything. Thank you. You know, I, I asked my son, David, he says I shouldn't mention his name when I'm up here so much, but I will. He's standing right in the back. But I asked him a question that no parent should ever ask a child. What's he's my child, even though he's an adult. I said, David, is it hard having me for a mother? <laughs> now, what's he supposed to say? It's the worst thing that ever happened to me? And get, see me hysterical? Yeah. No. So he laughed. He laughed, which was really good. And said, why are you asking that? And I said, because I know it is sometimes. I know it's hard having me for a mother. Sometimes I act like the great me. I talk a lot when he can't even think. And uh, there, I have so many annoying little things that I know bother him, and yet he's learned to put up with them. Uh, so sure, parents are tough, you know, but I think I needed that reassurance that maybe I'm not so awful because of my past. But, you know, um, he was very sweet about it. So. <laughs> One thing that I have found is things that embarrass our children are the same things that other people like about us. And so, you know what? So true. Are you hearing this? That is so true. I I don't worry about it anymore. I used to try to be somebody that wouldn't embarrass my daughter, and that didn't work. That wasn't me. No, no, that wouldn't be you. I mean, you just have to be yourself, and if people don't like that, then they can just stay away from you. Yeah. Changing the topic just a bit, but uh, going back to you talking about how, how your your children loved your mother, uh, and it wasn't that those problems that there there were. Uh, being a new grandfather, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a delight that skips across the generation. Uh, you know, my daughter saw me at all my worst times. Discipline didn't come from my dad. It came from me for my daughter. Uh, yet, skip across that generation, and you know, it, it seems like the time spent with the grandchildren or the grandparent you know, are, the, are the times that are not marked by discipline, by correction, by you know, the strife, the, mm-hmm. you know, the bad moments, the bad behavior, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we've been very blessed with our daughter. You know, she's all that we could want her to be, and we really can't take any credit for that. Uh, but when you look at the next generation, there's a delight there that uh, that just is beyond understanding, and we're just delighting in that. And uh, yeah, uh, Michael will probably never see my bad side like my daughter has because it's just such a delight to be with him. I'm on my best behavior, um, but. Uh, You're really not. You're just. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I do have to confess that you know. Don Bailey talks about teaching his grandson the doxology, and I've been teaching mine 99 bottles of beer on the wall. But uh, uh. Yeah. And, and last night, he said he had a cramp he needed to get rid of, so he was walking through the restaurant with Micah. I mean, all through the restaurant, looking to see if there was anybody he knew. 
And what's wrong with that? <laughs> but, our, yeah. Excuse me. Our time is up. And so uh, that was funny. I love, I love you as a couple in here. Uh, I'd like to close us with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for the body of believers in the world. Thank you for reuniting us in the ways that you unite us. Because unity is an answer. We must stay united even in our differences. But we also must be theologically sound. I thank you for this wonderful opportunity that you have given me to be in front of this group and to help lead them in these discussions. I thank you the way you are using me in my old age. It's such a privilege and a pleasure. And I thank you for the grace and the love which I feel here every time I am here and which I take with me. In Jesus' name I make this prayer. Amen. will not be Sunday school for August, and we will reconvene in September with a new series and new teacher, and look forward to seeing you all back here then. Yeah, children's Sunday schools also will not be meeting in August, given all our teachers, uh, especially the children's teachers. In this class, we rotate a lot, so it's not quite so bad, but the, the, the ones who teach our kids, they're there week after week after week, so we're giving them a little mini sabbatical in August, so... Uh, uh, we'll see you back here in September. Correct. Uh, everything changes on the 9th. That's when we go to two services, and that's when Sunday school uh, starts back up. And uh, so there will be a lot of dynamics uh, changing, including a few that haven't been announced yet.